Good morning and welcome to Houghton Wesleyan on this beautiful Sunday morning. Would you please stand as we read the call to worship together? Joyful is the sound we make this morning. Thankful is the song we sing. Hopeful is the prayer on our lips. May the peace and presence of Christ be known among us. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for bringing us through another week, for bringing us through another semester, another chapter in our lives. For some, this week has been one of joy, and for others, this has been a week of brokenness. Whatever path this week has taken us, we thank you for carrying us through, and we ask that you continue to guide and direct us. For the students at Houghton College and at Houghton Academy and any other schools in the surrounding areas, we ask for your care during this week of finals for college students and for another week of school for every other, every other student. And for the students who are graduating this year at Houghton, we ask that you give them assurance that you are indeed in control of their lives and that they will make it through this time of transition. Thank you once again for your mercy and patience and unending love. In Christ's name, amen.
I suspect that there are people seated around you that you know. I encourage you to greet them, but also perhaps find someone you don't know. Introduce yourself as we uh, share a time of greeting this morning. hope you met someone new. Uh, there are a few things I want to highlight in the bulletin. Um, we are, uh, tonight our small groups meet and next Sunday worship began at 829, 40 and 11. And um, we are also uh, in this time of the year, the rhythm of our church congregation where we spend 48 hours praying for our graduates, college graduates and high school graduates. And uh, we want to encourage you to be a part of that 48 hours of prayer you can sign up for a time slot in the prayer room this morning before you leave, the, after you leave the, the service in the sanctuary foyer, or you can sign up anytime online through our church website. But we would love to fill up those 48 hours of praying for our graduates. There will be a board in the prayer room with the names of all the graduates on it. And you can pray about other things as well, but uh, to spend some time praying for our graduates, I know they would greatly appreciate that. And if you are graduating yourself, Great time to come and to pray and uh, surrender yourself to God and the plans that he has for you in the days ahead. Uh, we also, a number of prayer concerns also in the bulletin, uh, issues related to people connected to us as well as things around the world, and we pray for God's grace in each of them. There's an insert in your bulletin about needing help for uh, Sunday school. Uh, we, at, we need now an assistant teacher for first grade and an assistant teacher for third grade, and this is May through just about the end of June. If you can assist in either of those, that would be greatly appreciated, and you see information on the sign-up sheet about that. Also, on the back of that page is uh, some information about our upcoming elections and our vision meeting, which will be on May 19th. Uh, there's a sample ballot posted around the church. If you would like to make uh, nominations from the floor, you need those submitted by Wednesday, and you see information related to that, and we'll have a final ballot posted next week. And also, there are copies of the budget on the table in the back foyer. Please feel free to take those, pray over that. If you have questions, uh, please feel free to contact the church office, and we will answer those for you. We are um, thrilled to welcome the uh, kindergarten, first, second grade boys who have been a part of our Wednesday evening program. And one of the things they've done this year is some scripture memorization and, and learning about the scriptures. And so they are going to come and share one of the passages that they've been working with. We have had 13 boys with us during Boys Club this year, and we've had five college girls who have been amazing that have come and helped us this year. And so we learned Romans 12, 9 through 21, which is love in action. And each week we get a Bible verse, and then we t find a Bible story that goes along with that verse. And then we do activities that go along with it. And it's been so much fun to see the boys memorizing, but also 
doing what the verse says and showing love towards each other. Um, we just, these boys have been a blessing to us. They're wild and rambunctious and crazy and it's crazy, but we just love them and they've been such a blessing to us that we wanted to share the blessing with you.
Please join me in the prayer of confession printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. Today's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verses 12 through 23. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and sing the doxology as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. thank you for all that you have provided for us this week, for all that you have done for us. And we ask now that you receive these tithes and offerings and that you may use them to further the work of your kingdom. In your son's precious name we pray. 
Amen. We have been invited to draw near to God, and we have an opportunity to do that through prayer. If you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you come and offer your prayers, your words of gratitude and thanksgiving, please come and join me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we hear your invitation to draw near to you, and we are grateful. So many things draw us away from you. So much of our lives puts distance between us and you. So this morning, we desire to draw near you to hear your invitation and and to come into your presence. Father, we pray for a world in great need. War, threats of war, violence, bombings, earthquakes, famine, 
drought, disease. We pray for your healing grace on our world. We pray that you will work miraculously in places and in circumstances that we cannot imagine things being any different. We pray that you will help your church here and around the world to be instruments of peace and of healing, of nourishment and of hope. We pray, Father, for the needs closer to home, right around us. We pray for all who are struggling with illness and pain, with disease and recovery. We pray for all who are grieving and ask that you would comfort them. And whether that grieving is from a physical death or from the loss of a dream or a broken relationship, we pray for your healing grace in each life. Lord, we pray that you will Help us in our daily journey with you. Some days we are more faithful than others. We pray that you will help us each day to want to trust you and to continue to trust you. That we might see your work dynamically in our lives. Father, we do pray for all who are coming to the end of their the school year. And we ask for your mercy in this in this week ahead and pray for your grace of learning, of relationships, of tasks, that it would be evident in looking back that all that was accomplished was because of you. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for answering in the way that you know is is best. We offer these prayers in the name of the risen Christ, our Lord and Savior, and our returning King, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, 
yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I have discovered through the years that there are a lot of misconceptions about heaven. We have these ideas that form in our minds, maybe from stories we've heard or songs we've sung or just things that people have said to us. And and so we, we have a lot of conflicting ideas about what heaven's going to be. I, I found a, a few cartoons this week that maybe will strike you as some things that you might have thought or other people have thought.
You know, when I was a child, heaven was, the only thing I thought about about heaven were angels' wings and harps and, you know, and halos. And as much as I, you know, have nothing against angels' wings or harps or halos, it seemed kind of boring to me. And I remember our youth pastor asking us, what would you, what would you like heaven to be if you could design it? And my answer was a never-ending baseball game. And I had somebody earlier service say, were you talking about heaven or hell? <laughs> you know, we have these ideas in our minds of, of what we think would make sense for heaven to be good and positive. And when we come to this vision of John's revelation, he gives us glimpses throughout of, of what heaven will be. And it's interesting to me as you read through this, this revelation, John uses the term, it looked like, a number of times. Because it's the only way he can think of to process it with his own experience, what he's seeing. And it's hard to describe it. But when we come to this 22nd chapter, we, we see that John describes the heavenly existence as, again, as a city. And we talked last week that the city was dressed as a bride for her groom, and the bride in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament is associated with God's people, the church. And so the city will be the church, and we will understand heaven in the context of the church. And he says, in this city, there is down the middle of the street, of the main street of the city, this river that flows. The river that brings life. When I read that, my mind immediately jumps to the fourth chapter of John's gospel, where Jesus is sitting by a well, talking to a woman, and he says to her, if you knew who, I, who you were talking to, you would ask me for living water. Because I am the water of life. And you fast forward to Revelation 22, and you see this river of life coming through the city, and that says to me that this river symbolizes Jesus. And everything about the city that has life, everything in the city that exists, everything that has meaning in the city is about Jesus. And ultimately, heaven is heaven because of Jesus. Jesus, the lamb who was slain, he is the the reason there is heaven. And there are lots of theories we have about what heaven may be like. But if Christ isn't in the center of those theories, something is wrong with him. Over and over again, it's about Jesus. And because it's about Jesus, the river of life who brings life into this, this place, the, the trees have life. And he talks about the tree of life being on either side of the river. And that takes us back to Genesis and the Garden of Eden. And the tree of life sits right in the middle of the garden. And before Adam and Eve sin, they eat on that tree. Because the only tree they can't eat of is the tree of good and evil knowledge of good and evil. But when they do that, when they sin and disobey God, they are banished from the garden so that they don't eat the tree of life. But now we come to this picture of the heavenly realm and the tree of life is there and it is producing fruit at an amazing rate. Every month, a whole new crop of fruit because its root system is in Jesus, the river of life. And John says that the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. 
And after that, he says, there will be no curse. And when I think about the healing of the nations and no curse, I think about all the ways in which nations fight with each other. All the ways we think of to to turn on each other and to make war with each other and, and to fight with each other. And all of that's going to be gone. No more nation against nation. I find it interesting earlier on in the prophecy in chapter 9, chapter 5, chapter 7, John says that I looked and I saw people from every tribe and language and, and nation and, and people group, which says to me that heaven is not about all of us being blandly the same. We will still have our uniqueness and we may still even have our distinguishing characteristics of nationalities. But instead of fighting with each other, we will be unified in Christ. And we will be one in him as the people of God. And all the walls and the barriers that are between us now will be broken down. And we will love each other in a way that now is hard for our minds to comprehend. But that, but that healing of the nations and the ending of the curse is not just about stuff out there and the largeness of nation and nation. It's about us as well. It's about all of our relationships. Now that we're under the curse, we live with such insecurity. And, those, and that insecurity drives us to want to be better than other people and to, get, and to, be, to be more popular and to have more success. And, and we walk over people and we trample people and we take advantage of people. And we, we wrestle with jealousy and, and we're envious. And it leads us to all kinds of things that we do to each other. But in that day... All of that will be gone. No more envy, no more jealousy, no more insecurity. We will just love each other. We'll love each other because we're different. And we'll love each other for the ways that we're the same. Because all of our focus, everything about our existence there will be on Jesus. It won't be about us. It'll be about him. And that will heal our relationships and, and no more will we live with the pain that we cause each other and the pain that we feel from each other. We'll be healed fully, completely. But ultimately, that healing is about us and God. Because what causes our problems with each other is rooted in our problem with God. Before the fall, Adam and Eve had this perfect relationship with God. They had perfect receptors to understand what God was saying and to see God and to trust God. But after the fall, our receptors are damaged. They're twisted and they're bent and they're torn and some are broken off and we just don't get it. God hasn't changed his message. God hasn't changed a thing about who he is and what he says to us. We now, because of our damaged receptors, just don't get it. And we question God and we, and, and we don't trust God. And we are convinced that we know better than God does. And all the things that come to us in life, the pains and the struggles and the burdens, can cause us to question God. And to trust in ourselves more than in Him all because of those damaged receptors and the message of who he is, of his grace and his mercy and his compassion and his truth, it doesn't get through to us like it should. But on that day, our receptors will be totally healed. They'll be put back right. 
And we will experience God the way he intended us to. We will see God perfectly. And we'll understand God perfectly. And we will trust him perfectly. Because our focus will no longer be on us. It'll be on Jesus. The Lamb of God who was slain and who was raised from the grave. It's hard to put into words all that that's going to be like. You know, I think John struggled to describe what he was seeing. And we struggle to visualize it as well because we live so far below that. And then you come to verse 4. And he says that, that the servants of God, those who worship the Lamb, those who serve the Lamb, those whose lives are focused fully on Christ are going to see his face. You go back to Exodus chapter 33. We read this passage a few moments ago. God has brought the Israelites out of Egypt and uh, he now has, uh, Moses is up on the mountain and he's meeting with God. He's getting the Ten Commandments and all the law and, and, and Moses is up there for 40 days and it's such an amazing experience that when he comes down, he actually is glowing. He's physically glowing. And and I can't imagine what Moses saw and what he went through up there. But when he comes down in chapter 32, is the whole debacle of the golden calf. The people say, I don't know what happened to this Moses. Let's make a calf. We'll worship it. And they do. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And, you know, the place just disintegrates in the immorality and sin. And, And Moses comes down and he sees what's happening. He smashes the tablets and, and there are consequences. And now we come to chapter 33 and Moses has to go back and get another set of tablets. Ten Commandments 2.0. He's got to go up and he's got to get the second set. And, and I think he, now he's up there and he's a little bit concerned about, about whether God is going to stick with them. I mean, it's a pretty big deal what happened with the golden calf. And, and there, you get the sense that Moses is afraid that God is going to send the Israelites on, but he's, he's not going to be a part of this group anymore. Moses has yet to learn the amazing patience of God. And he says, Lord, if you don't go with us, then we don't want to go. And God says, I'll go with you. And Moses says, I'd like a sign. I want to make sure. Uh, let me see your face. And I, I can almost hear God laughing, saying, yeah, Moses, that's not going to happen. You could not handle seeing my face. You know, you look in someone's face, someone looks you in the eye, that's how you truly know them. There's a presence there in someone's face. And to look in the face of God, impossible. It's too much. And so God says, you stand over here and I'll walk by and you can see my back. And that's enough for Moses. And they move on. And now we come to this heavenly vision in Revelation 22. And John says, those who worship the lamb will see his face. We will now have the opportunity to look God in the eye and to understand more than ever in a completely new way, who God is and God's love for us and his grace and mercy to us. And we'll see him face to face and eye to eye. And I can't imagine what that's going to be like. But it's because of Jesus. 
And then he says, not only will they see his face, but his name will be on their foreheads. I've been pondering what it means for God's name to be on the forehead of his servants. You go to Revelation 13 and the people who worship the beast, who follow the enemy of God, they put the the sign of the beast on their foreheads. And so maybe he's saying these are the people, those people, they chose the beast and so they're marked with him. And these people have chosen God and they're marked with him. And it might be that, but I think there's something else going on here. It struck me as I was reading again recently, Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory. And in that essay, he talks about this idea that, you know, we will experience glory in heaven. And he said, I don't exactly know what that means. All I can think of with glory is, is fame. And he said, I, don't think that's, I didn't think that's what he meant. And then I read some of the ancient writers and they thought that that was what he meant. But not fame from other creatures, but actually fame and recognition from God. That in that place... We are going to be recognized by God as important and special. He's going to write his name on our foreheads. He goes on to say it's sort of the the same idea of, it's the idea of, of pleasing someone who has authority over you. And doing it not to manipulate them, but just because you love to please them. A child to a parent, a pupil to a student creature to its creator. And, and he said, you think about a child, and he says, nothing more obvious in a child, not a, he's not a conceited child, but a good child. There's, there's nothing in a child that's more noticeable than when they realize they have pleased their parent. They beam. They're filled with joy. This person that's so important to them has expressed pleasure for what they've done and who they are. And we know that feeling. Maybe it's not with a parent, maybe with someone else, but you know that feeling of someone you admire and respect and and recognizing that you have pleased them. It, It fills you with great joy. And Lewis says, I think that's what is going to happen in heaven. That God is going to tell us, I'm pleased with you. You bring joy to me. He, Lewis says we, it's amazing, but we're actually a part of, of, God, of ex, God experiencing his divine happiness by who we are and our worship. He says it sounds a little bit trite to talk about being recognized by God. And yet he, he quotes Paul in 2 Corinthians when he says that to those who love Christ... It's not what we expect that they will know him, but rather that they will be known by him. And I think when he says that God's name is written on our foreheads, it's not so much that we are declaring we're on God's side as much as it is God saying, that's my people. And I am happy that they are my people. And I want you to know that I'm pleased to identify myself with them. Because they bring joy to me. It's like when I played Little League. You know, in in Little League, different businesses sponsored our teams. And I played for Citizens National Bank. And that was blazoned across our uniforms, Citizens National Bank. And we represented them. But 
And, and so the way we played and the way we behaved were a direct relation, connection to them. And I suspect that if, if we kind of went off the rails and started doing crazy things, they would pull their sponsorship because they didn't want to be identified with that. And there are lots of times I think we feel about God because of the things we do or don't do or the way we live, we think God's ashamed of us. He's going to pull the sponsorship out from us. But the reality is, despite our struggles and despite our sin and our failings that all of us have to deal with, God is pleased with us. If the desire of our heart is to worship Christ, if the desire of our heart is to bring joy to God, He is pleased with us even when we fall short of bringing to Him the joy He deserves. And the pleasure he deserves. And the day is coming when that will be perfect. The day is coming when we will give him perfect pleasure and perfect joy. But until that day, we get glimpses of that. And God says to us, I've loved you with an everlasting love. You're my children. And if you, if you who are parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father in heaven who loves you and is pleased with you. And... and, and It's not ashamed of you. He simply wants us to want to bring him joy. And that's why, you know, Lewis talks about heaven being for people who want to be there. Heaven's about people who want to bring joy to God. Heaven's about people who want their lives to be so focused on Christ. However, much we fail in that, in that venture, but our, our desire so focused on Christ that we bring joy to God and nothing pleases us more than to bring joy to God. And if that's what heaven's going to be then in its perfect state, then that's what life we're being called to now in this world. And so with that eternal mindset this table becomes a place where we hear God's invitation to know His love and His grace and His mercy on us now. This is a place where where we hear God saying to us, you're valuable to me. You're important to me. You're my beloved child. You bring joy to me. Where we join Saints in the ages and around the world at the banquet table of love for our God who is merciful and grace and sovereign and true. When Jesus is the focus of heaven, everything makes sense. And when Jesus is the focus of heaven, he becomes the focus of our lives here. And they start to make sense. So this morning, if if your desire is to bring joy to God, then this morning I want you to celebrate what God has promised. To celebrate God saying to you, you bring pleasure to me. I love you. 
You bring joy to me. And if your desire is, is not to bring joy to God, if your desire, if you're so wrestling with that, what a great time to say, Lord, I want to change the way I've been living my life. I want to surrender to you. I want to be yours. In this moment of prayer, hear God speaking to you and offer to him your prayers. Father, it is an awesome thing to to hear you say that we bring joy to you. That we bring pleasure to you. That your name written on our foreheads It's exactly what you want. Father, encourage us. Speak joy and blessing and grace into our lives. Hear our prayers of repentance. Hear our songs of praise. We pray, Father, that your blessing will rest upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. We pray, Father, that it will be food for our souls and that we will have a sense of joining in with your saints through the ages and around the world in this great banquet of love. Give us a glimpse of what you have promised for us. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks. And he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. This means to dip in. As you're released by rows, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup and eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you would like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays. We are happy to serve you in your seats. Just let the usher know as your row is released.
We practice open communion at the Westland Church. It might be the first time you've worshipped here. But if you come today with a desire in your heart to bring joy and pleasure to your Father in heaven, then come, receive these gifts from his gracious, merciful hands.
invite you to stand for the closing hymn as we sing together blessing and honor and glory and power. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.